Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics which are going to educate and empower others and give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. Welcome back, friends. Happy, well, I guess this is always Tuesday when this drops, but we always get mixed up because we record this on Friday, but <laughs> we we hope you are enjoying the start to your week. We, as we were recording this, we actually have, or I don't know if you do, Vicki, but I actually have some sunshine, which uh, yes. in, in this California, Seattle weather we've been having, uh, <laughs> it's very nice. Yeah. So, you know, we have kind of popped around with our eligibility series that we were really trying to be consistent on, but we had lined up so many wonderful guests that we wanted to kind of not inundate you with just legalese. And today's guest is actually one of those people. Jamie, thank you so much for coming onto our podcast. Jamie is from Blazer Works. He's the advisory team director and we just love your background. So if you could explain your background and then how you came to Blazer Works. All right. Well, first off, thank you so much for having me. I'll try to be as succinct as possible with my background. I honestly fell into special education. When I was 19 years old, I got a summer job working at a camp for children with disabilities mm-hmm. and honestly did it because I got the opportunity to be outside all day, play kickball. (laughs) I loved working with kids, but Mm -hmm. I'd never entered into the space of working with children with disabilities. Absolutely (laughs) fell in love with it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Changed my undergrad major to behavioral science, started on the mental health side, Mm -hmm. really always loved the education component of it. So went back, got a master's in special ed, started as a special ed teacher absolutely loved it. Other people saw some ability in me and I stepped into my first leadership role and then started a doctoral program in educational leadership. And the rest is history. I just, I went from teacher to coordinator to assistant principal, principal, and then ultimately moved into a position as a special education director, which I loved. Uh, I've always been one that's forward thinking and getting ideas for what could come next. And when I got this job as a special ed director, I had never worked with staffing agencies. And again, Uh, in full transparency, I didn't even know that there was such a thing as contracted employees in schools. Right. And as part of my onboarding with the job, I inherited a bunch of contracts and, and What I quickly realized was all of these companies are wonderful at finding talent, Mm. but if the talent needs some mentoring, some coaching, perhaps is new to a school setting, Mm -hmm. most of the companies didn't have anything in place that could really give them what was needed. So an idea was born on a napkin, like so many of those are. (laughs) And here we are three years later, where I was fortunate enough to start this advisory team at Blazerworks. Amazing. I think that a lot of what is innovative, what changes in school districts is the leadership. It's all top down. And just even you, you know, recognizing like, I didn't even know that we could, like we have these contracts. And then just even you saying like, I inherited 
I think that it does a disservice to the people like the teachers that are at the forefront, right? That don't know what resources that they have. A man and I are have two different cases in a similar in a district where we're looking for inclusion specialists. And you have half the team saying like, we've never even heard of an inclusion specialist, right? Even though the parents have had that <laughs> for their children in the past. And then you have the other half of a different team, like Amanda's team saying like, oh yeah, that's definitely this person in this position. And they have the inclusive, you know, inclusion well, the level, and the, da, da, da. Yeah, the level of like training and specialization and the ability of a staff member to actually like support the needs of an individual student. But like mm-hmm. what we appreciate about you is that you recognize that there was a problem. And rather than burying your head in the sand, which unfortunately, I'm sorry to say it, this is what many administrators do and just say, well, this is how we've always done it. So this is how we're going to do it. You went out there and tried to solve the problem, which I mean, I wish happened more often. How hard is, was it for you to kind of see the problem and then transition to, no, I'm going to do something about it? Well, I do believe it would have been much more difficult if I tried to impart all of that change in a traditional K-12 setting. Mm. I also believe that almost everybody working in our public school systems really does want to do what's best for their communities at large. I believe systems that have been in place for a hundred years limit our availability to really move forward in a fast approach when we're trying to to have systemic change in schools. So for me specifically, part of the wonderful benefits that have been bestowed to me was the ability to do this within an organization like Blazerworks, where they really appreciate creativity and are always looking for solutions. And Mm -hmm. what is going to be the next thing that we can do to change the game, to elevate the services that we're offering and what we can provide to our partner school districts and those individual special education professionals around the country. One of the things that we have also run into similarly, and we just don't know if this is a trend with some of the districts around here, is this hesitancy, I guess to put it nicely, of including children with special needs in the general education setting. What has been your experience with inclusivity and really trying to integrate? Because, you know, it's hard when you go into a school and it's like, well, this is just how it's always been. We have these kids over here and we really see a lot of pushback at times. And we feel it's because the staff may not be properly supported. So we're like trying to help support (laughs) staff But when the staff themselves are just thinking it might be too hard, then sometimes we just we have to change teachers. We have to get somebody that has that buy in. What what has been kind of your experience throughout the years with that? It's a great question, a great topic to discuss. And I've been part of these discussions throughout my career. For me, and especially speaking with people that aren't in the education and specifically the special education space, it always helps for me to make an analogy that a lot of people can relate to. And the one that comes quickest to my mind and and always has is you get somebody and it's typically around this time of year that decides that they want to train for a marathon Mm. and they might not even be able to run a mile. 
but mm-hmm. yet immediately they go full speed ahead and get in this mindset of, oh, I've got to do 26.2, 26.2 mm-hmm. or bust and that's it. Mm-hmm. And so I think of that as very similar to the inclusion movement, inclusivity. And again, going back to what I said earlier, where I really do believe that educators want the best, mm-hmm. we don't always know the best path forward mm-hmm. and we don't know how to take incremental steps. So we go from being able to walk a half a mile to trying to run a marathon overnight. And so what happens is we'll go from having a ton of restrictive self-contained classrooms in a school district and over the summer disband those and go to a hundred percent inclusion. <laughs> right. With, and I am, I'm exaggerating a bit, right, but to, right. to get the point across. And so there's so many things that haven't happened along the way. We haven't equipped those general education teachers and the special education mm-hmm. co-teachers mm-hmm. with all the tools that they need in order to support the kids in a general ed setting. We haven't equipped the related service providers with understanding what their service model can look like in Mm -hmm. tandem Mm -hmm. with the rest of an IEP team. And we jump too far in. And so I do believe that we are on the right track to getting more kids in a least restrictive environment for as much of the day as possible with the ultimate goal of full inclusion. However, I think there's so much work that needs to be done to make sure that everybody has the tools needed to make it successful. Yeah, I think that tools piece is important. And also for the kiddos who have been in a segregated, secluded class to get them, you know, it's night and day if they've been in a secluded class for years. I've worked with a number of students who have been in a special day class 100% of the time, and I've gotten them fully 100% in gen ed. But it was the ones that have been very successful where they never go back are the ones where we take it one step at a time. But that's because they are students that have been in a secluded setting for a good amount of time that there's a lot that needs to be done to support the student too. Of course, the classroom, but you could put them in a very supported, trained, inclusive classroom, but they may not be successful if they're not prepped too. And so, you know, when we talk about, you know, what are the things that we could be doing on a systemic change and looking at like really big picture, we think about the kiddos who are coming in the three to five year range that are just starting their IEP journeys or going into kindergarten. And we talk all the time about where we find frustration is that those kiddos are the ones that the team say, we're going to start you off the bat in a special day class without ever having one day in a general education classroom. Many of these kids were not in traditional preschool settings because of one reason or another, whether their family couldn't pay for it or they weren't accepted because they had autism or whatnot, right? And so their very first experience in a classroom, we are not giving them the opportunity to even start, right? So if we could do one thing to help kind of this bigger picture, it would really be looking at that first IEP, that first school placement even. And how can we train, I guess, younger educators that we can do it, right? We can help these kids be fully included at the get-go, but that's not where a lot of these teams jump to. Like, it's not their first reaction. It's, oh, this kid has a diagnosis. This kid on our assessments has all these challenges. They have to be in this other class because this other class already has so many amazing things in it. But why is that the first, you know, do you think that a lot of that is the training of these teachers or just the way that things have been done? 
what do you think that we could do to be helping shift like that mentality when we're like first going into it? The first thing that pops into my mind with that is really shifting from an academic focus to a Mm -hmm. child and child development focus. Personal opinions here, I believe over the last probably 20 years in the education space, we've become so obsessed with students' proficiency rates and their school readiness factors and all of that. We're failing to look at the whole child. We're failing to look at how they engage and play with their peers in an educational setting. And so we're coming at it from this microcosmic lens of child A is presenting with just emerging literacy. So therefore, more academic work is going to be the key. And so that's why as a system, we are so quick to put those kids in day programs when we're failing to realize that in most cases, and research will back this up, if you have those students with their larger peer group and they're allowed to engage in language through play and through daily interactions and all of that, you're actually going to close that achievement gap much faster than having them in a segregated setting where you're just working on those isolated language skills all day long. So again, I think it's not just training the educators, but also bringing in child development specialists to really talk about the benefits of what comes outside of just the, for lack of a better term, skill and drill academics. Yeah. So I got a degree in in child development and at my college, many of the students who were going on the path of becoming teachers, and this was the general education teacher credential, they took the child development degree and then they did an extra year. They had a program in my school and they would get their teaching credentials. So I took a lot of the same classes that the teachers, the, you know, on their way to becoming teachers took. And one thing that like always struck me was that there was so little discussion about inclusion and about even children with disabilities at all. And I had the benefit of working at a full inclusion school at the time. And so just comparing and looking at the curriculum that was provided to future teachers just didn't involve much. I think there was one class that was like disability 101 almost. I don't remember the exact name, but in, and I took that class and I remember thinking like, this doesn't even scratch the surface. And so is that a place that we could be looking at starting when we talk about like the child development perspective, like, should we be doing more in these programs to start at the very beginning with teachers? I believe so. I think our entire teacher preparation system in higher education needs an overhaul. And again, not at the fault of anybody. We know that our yeah. colleges and universities are in a bit of a crisis in, in their schools of education in terms of recruiting pre-service teachers and all of that. So this isn't to point a finger. It's to say, hey, how can we put our collective brains together across all industries mm-hmm. and really look at where we are now and mm-hmm. where we need to be to produce learners that are ready for post-secondary life for this current world that we're living in. And so I think that's one excellent place where we can start by really looking at the programs and what those key components and standards are and bringing in 
more work around inclusivity and working with children that are presenting with different levels of understanding, different school readiness, all of that kind of stuff. And really, again, looking at the whole child instead of just looking at, you know, it's similar to the medical field. We look at symptoms instead of the Mm -hmm. overall body in front of us. And so in this case, again, you know, student only can say so many words, well, then all of a sudden we're in a deficit mindset instead right. of what can this student do? Let's build on this student's strengths. Mm-hmm. 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 I, I think that we are also seeing a trend of the like school versus the parent or the school versus the parent and the child instead of the mindset of it is the parent and the school and the student against the problem. The problem is attentional issues. What can we do to refocus the child, right? Like, what are we, like, what is the issue? What is, you know, what is the fear behind having this child in the special or in the general education classroom? Is it the teacher who feels like they're going to need more support? Then we need the teacher to say something because I cannot tell you how often I have a teacher saying one thing to the parent and then we get mm-hmm. to the IEP meeting and it's a completely different song and dance. <laughs> and the parent, you know, is like, I'm trying to help you. Right. But if you are downplaying, oh, no, I can handle this. I got this, you know, da, 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 like then it does a disservice not only to the child in which we are at that IEP meeting, that individualized education, plan, but all the children that are going to be in that classroom. I think that that's you know, Amanda and I tried to drive that point home, but people don't like to be vulnerable and they don't like to talk about their fears. <laughs> but so when you had said, you know, you just can't go overnight into an all-inclusive classroom setting in your, your time as special education director, did you feel like you had the time? Did you feel like you had, you know, the district's, you know, power behind you to really you know, make this change because, you know, off record, we've had some conversations with other directors where it just, it feels so much more administrative and there's, they just feel overwhelmed by all the red tape. What has been your experience? I was very fortunate that the cabinet level district leadership that I was surrounded by were open to learning Mm. And you use the word vulnerability. I love that. And Mm -hmm. and I worked with people that were vulnerable to say, I don't know a lot about special Mm -hmm. education, but I want to learn. And I want to know because all of these students are our students and we need to do what's best for everybody. So in that, I would be lying through my teeth if I said (laughs) that it wasn't difficult and there weren't a lot of boundaries. And again, I'm redundant, but everybody's heart was in the right place. And you Mm. also said fear, fear Mm. drives so much, whether, Mm. whether Mm. we're consciously aware that it's fear or not, Mm -hmm. it's that fear. Mm -hmm. And so push back from principles and it's coming from fear because if the student that is now spending more time in the general ed classroom does have some acting out behaviors that the other students are going to take home and tell their family Mm. about Mm. that fear is Mm. that principal is going to be the one on the front line receiving that phone call or having the parent in their office after drop-off to confront them about that. And the fear comes from most of our principal's 
don't have adequate training in special education. Right. So they understand legally least restrictive environment, but they're not equipped with all the tools to have that conversation with the parent about how the student will at times have some outbursts, but that student is a part of the classroom and all of that. So again, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there were a lot of obstacles and I do, I hadn't thought about it until right now, actually, when you said that about fear, and I think that fear really drives it and it's the same thing. And it, it also, it's the same thing with that general education teacher that maybe has not had students in their classroom yep. that exhibit those behaviors, or maybe a student is nonverbal and uses a communication device, those kind of things. It's mm-hmm. not that the teacher doesn't want them in their classroom. Mm. It's mm. fear because they don't mm-hmm. know how to fully incorporate them and make them feel a welcome part of their classroom community. So the easiest thing to do when we're confronted with fear is put up a wall and go into that fight or flight, which Mm -hmm. I think that's a lot of what we're seeing. Anytime we have had a teacher that was just excited about the opportunity of this child starting in their classroom, like you wouldn't even try to second guess that they may not be prepared. They were just like, we had buy-in from them and we had been able to, because they were willing to make it work. You know, we were able to really be at that table and say, this is what we're going to need because sometimes it feels like a district maneuver is to just put the kid in the general education with no support. (laughs) Okay. You want this Then let's see. And then we're going to collect data and then we're really going to, you know, and, and it's really disheartening and, and we really have to advise our clients, you know, of the consequences because I think for so long, it's this, we got to get there. We got to get there. We got to get there. And this is the first time they've ever said it. And so we have to take it and da, 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 da. And like, we don't want to, you know, you know, we have to remind our clients, look, this is a marathon. We need to take things yeah. slow. And, and we get it. It's really hard. But, you know, your perspective on it, I think, like I said, it's top down. Again, there are principles where, you know, sometimes the special day class isn't invited to the assemblies. We've had that, you know, whereas yeah. a different principal in the same district, those kids are there front and center and like, just like everybody else. So it, it really is encouraging to kind of hear that top down mentality and being able to pinpoint, like, I need these principles to have this type of background or like just information. Well, and even just understanding the science and the data behind Mm -hmm. it, because we have so much research that shows us how beneficial inclusive education is. But I just like, we talk about this all the time that like the United States does a lot of research and data collection on educational philosophies and programs and methodologies. And yet we are too slow to disseminate this information to our teachers and to our administrators. Other countries come in and take our data and use it and it works, but we don't. And I don't know if it's because like it is a governmental entity and government works slow. And so that's part of the problem. But like, we just wish the information could get to more places because the amount of times we do go into IEPs and just the initial like shutdown of we can't do that without even considering like, let's, 
do you understand the science? Do you understand the research behind this and why this isn't just a parent saying, I just want my kid and Jenna just to want it. Like there's usually mm-hmm. a lot of reasons behind it. And so Jamie, as we kind of close, what is something that you feel a teacher administrator, someone that we're so lucky that they listen to our podcast (laughs) because we do talk about our experiences with districts. I mean, of course we at the top is a lot of the maybe negative, but we we've had a lot of positive and we try to remember to share that. What is something that you would want them to know, you know, while they're on this journey of, of helping to make their classrooms, their schools more inclusive? I think having their heart in the right place and having a welcoming and opening environment, Mm -hmm. whatever their role in the school may be. And Mm -hmm. so, and again, we get in this perfection mindset, probably rooted out of fear, Mm. but just giving your space, yourself space and the permission to care for all students And there doesn't have to be a one size fits all model of perfection, Mm -hmm. just opening your space to all students, wanting to learn about students, all of that, and then looking for the resources. And, and, you know, if I can make a plug for our advisory team, that's a big part of what we were put in place to do. And so we are developing and delivering professional development to schools across the country mm-hmm. around inclusive practices mm-hmm. around the differences between inclusion and true co-teaching models and we're excited about that everybody we have on the team is passionate and extremely grateful to have this platform to be able to give back and really try to elevate special education and get every student in this country exactly what they deserve. And so I would say for every single teacher, anybody listening, just keep at it and Mm -hmm. and go back to as cliche as it is, it is a marathon. You're going to have bad Mm -hmm. days. You're Mm going to have days where you cry. I mean, speaking of vulnerability, my first three years of teaching were some of the toughest years of my life ever because I didn't have all the answers and I wanted to be so good at it. And I felt multiple times like I was letting kids down, but thankfully I had a lot of great mentors that said, it's like anything else. You can't expect to be great at it when you're beginning. And if you've got veteran teachers that are listening, but maybe they're new to including students in their classroom that do have more extensive disabilities, guess what? It's learning something new all over again. You might be one of the best teachers in the world, but if you haven't worked with students of that population, it's going to take you some time to adjust. It's going to, and so be kind to yourself. You know, it's hard work. And anytime you're carrying the weight of that, where you are so much to those students you serve, it's a heavy lift. So again, just give yourself grace. Remember each day is a new day, have healthy outlets. I say this to people all the time, whether it's yoga, whether it's Mm -hmm. walking, Mm -hmm. um, whether it's a Peloton, whatever it is, it doesn't even have to be physical exercise. Right. Yeah read books, listen to podcasts, mm-hmm. go mm-hmm. to movies with friends, but you have to find something that separates you from this work because in talking to people across multiple industries, don't get me wrong. There are high stress industries out there, 
but the combination of the physical weight of being on all day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've heard teachers say it's similar to being a Broadway actor. Like oh, you're absolutely. on all yeah. the time. Yeah. Right. And so right. that physical toll of always being on and then the mental toll. Do you know if this kid had dinner last night? You know, right, right. I, I live in Denver. Our school community is going through a rough week. We had a shooting in a high school this week. I, yes. The emotional toll, all yeah. of that weighs yeah. heavily on educators. So you have to cut yourself slack. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, so and I would one, say one word takeaway grace. Yeah. But it, yes. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's so important. And I think too, like, you're not alone more often than not that. And not, of course, this isn't always the case, but most of the time, those parents, they want to help you in any way they can. They have strategies they use at home where they know things that don't work. Collaborating with the parents is the best way for you to troubleshoot some, you know, some things in the classroom because they know so much about their child. And usually they are very willing to provide information and lend an ear, but we don't always, I think, I don't know, you know, what the circumstances are, but we don't always have that open communication. And I think it's nerve wracking to start that, but parents are usually, especially the ones we work with, they're very open for that communication. They are hungry for it most of the time. Well, and I think it's important for teachers to know, you know, if your classroom is child, truly child centric with, you know, social, emotional learning and things like that, a lot of what you're already doing is going to go over very well for a child with special, like it, it, you know, you don't have to, we love to label and just put people in boxes. And oftentimes, like I said, those teachers that are really excited, they don't know, right. Because they'd never experienced it, but it's really not. And I say, you know, you might need support because yes, you might have a child that has behaviors and things like that, that will get you that one to one. But for the most part, like, what you're already doing as a teacher is probably amazing. And that child is going to just feel so included (laughs) if you are already doing that. So I just, we know it's tough. And, you know, we, Jamie, we thank you so much for your time. We were so excited to have you on because we knew that you would have such a, you know, different perspective being on that side. Right. Um, And then being able to, have that opportunity to really try to make that change. Like Amanda and I started this podcast, you know, to start those conversations and you really are taking the conversation and leading it to action, which is amazing. Well, thank you. And thank you so much for having me. I would love to, you know, collaborate in any way moving forward and see what we can do to get this, keep this movement going and and take it to the next level. Oh, absolutely. Like we're not going to have a a district say they don't know anymore because we'll say, well, we, we know who can help with the professional yep. development. <laughs> well, Jamie, thank to. you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for coming on and listeners. We will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.